0: Chapter Seven of the Life and Adventures of Sir Launcelot Greaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life and Adventures of Sir Launcelot Greaves by Tobias Smollett. Chapter Seven, in which the knight resumes his importance dr phillett having borrowed a couple of sheets from the landlady dressed the misanthrope and tom clark in ghostly apparel which was reinforced by a few drops of liquid phosphorus from ferret's vial, rubbed on the foreheads of the two adventurers thus equipped they returned to the church with their conductor who entered with them softly at an aisle which was opposite to a place where the novice kept watch they stole unperceived through the body of the church and though it was so dark that they could not distinguish the captain with the eye they heard the sound of his steps as he walked backwards and forwards on the pavement with uncommon expedition and an ejaculation now and then escaped in a murmur from his lips the triumvirate having taken their station with a large pew in their front the two ghosts uncovered their heads which by the help of the phosphorus exhibited a pale and lambent flame extremely dismal and ghastly to the view then ferret in a squeaking tone exclaimed samuel crow samuel crow the captain hearing himself accosted in this manner at such a time and in such a place replied hilloa and turning his eyes towards the quarter whence the voice seemed to proceed beheld the terrible apparition this no sooner saluted his view than his hair bristled up his knees began to knock and his teeth to chatter while he cried aloud in the name of god where are you bound ho to this hail the misanthrope answered we are the spirits of thy grandmother jane and thy aunt bridget at mention of these names crow's terrors began to give way to his resentment and he pronounced in a quick tone of surprise mixed with indignation what do you want what do you want what do you want ho the spirit replied we are sent to warn thee of thy fate from whence ho cried the captain whose collar had by this time well-nigh triumphed over his fear from heaven said the voice ye lie ye bess of hell did our novice exclaim ye are for heaving me out of my right five fathom and a half by the lead in burning brimstone don't i see the blue flames come out of your hawse-holes mayhap you may be the devil himself for aught i know but i trust in the lord d'ye see i never disrated a kinsman d'ye see so don't come alongside of me put about on the other tack d'ye see you need not clap hard a weather for you'll soon get to hell again with a flowing sail so saying he had recourse to his paternoster but perceiving the apparitions approach he thundered out avast avast sheer off ye babes of hell or i'll be foul of your forelights he accordingly sprung forwards with his hanger and very probably would have set the spirits on their way to the other world had he not fallen over a pew in the dark and entangled himself so much among the benches that he could not immediately recover his footing the triumvirate took this opportunity to retire and such was the precipitation of ferret in his retreat that he encountered a post by which his right eye sustained considerable damage a circumstance which induced him to inveigh bitterly against his own folly as well as the impertinence of his companions who had inveigled him into such a troublesome adventure neither he nor clark could be prevailed upon to revisit the novice the doctor himself thought his disease was desperate and mounting his horse returned to his own habitation ferret finding all the beds in the public-house were occupied composed himself to sleep in a windsor chair at the chimney-corner and mr clark whose disposition was extremely amorous resolved to renew his practices on the heart of dolly He had reconnoitred the apartments in which the bodies of the knight and his squire were deposited, and discovered close by the top of the staircase a sort of a closet or hovel just large enough to contain a truckle-bed, which from some other particulars he supposed to be the bedchamber of his beloved Dolly, who had by this time retired to her repose full of this idea and instigated by the demon of desire mr thomas crept softly upstairs and lifting the latch of the closet door his heart began to palpitate with joyous expectation but before he could breathe the gentle effusions of his love the supposed damsel started up and seizing him by the collar with a herculean grip uttered in the voice of crabshaw it wa'n't for nothing that i dreamed of nougat, sir but i'd have thee to know an arrant squire is not to be robbed by such a peddling thief as thee here i'll howl thee vast and the devil were in thy doublet help murder vire help it was impossible for mr clark to disengage himself and equally impracticable to speak in his own vindication so that here he stood trembling and half throttled until the whole house being alarmed the landlady and her ostler ran upstairs with a candle when the light rendered objects visible an equal astonishment prevailed on all sides crabshaw was confounded at sight of mr clark whose person he well knew and releasing him instantly from his grasp bodikins cried he i believe is how this house is haunted who thought to meet with meester larrier clark at midnight and so far from home the landlady could not comprehend the meaning of this encounter nor could tom conceive how crabshaw had transported himself thither from the room below in which he saw him quietly reposed yet nothing was more easy than to explain this mystery the apartment below was the chamber which the hostess and her daughter reserved for their own convenience and this particular having been intimated to the squire while he was at supper he had resigned his bed quietly and been conducted hither in the absence of the company Tom, recollecting himself as well as he could, professed himself of Crabshaw's opinion that the house was haunted, declaring that he could not well account for his being there in the dark and leaving those that were assembled to discuss this knotty point, retired downstairs in hope of meeting with his charmer, whom accordingly he found in the kitchen just risen and wrapped in a loose the noise of crabshaw's cries had awakened and aroused his master who rising suddenly in the dark snatched up his sword that lay by his bedside and hastened to the scene of tumult where all their mouths were opened at once to explain the cause of this disturbance and make an apology for breaking his honour's rest he said nothing but taking the candle in his hand beckoned his squire to follow him into his apartment resolving to arm and take horse immediately crabshaw understood his meaning and while he shuffled on his clothes yawning hideously all the while wished the lawyer at the devil for having visited him so unseasonably and even cursed himself for the noise he had made in consequence of which he foresaw he should now be obliged to forfeit his night's rest and travel in the dark exposed to the inclemencies of the weather pox rot thee tom clark for a wicked lawyer said he to himself hadst thou been hanged at bartlemede tide i should this night have slept in peace that i should and i would there was a blister on this plaguy tongue of mine for making such a hollow ballo that i do five gallons of cold water as my poor belly been drenched with since night fell so as my reins and my liver are all one as if they were turned into ice and my whole harslet shakes and shivers like a vial of quicksilver i have been dragged half drowned like a rotten ewe, from the bottom of a river and who knows but i may be next dragged quite dead from the bottom of a coal-pit if so be as i am i shall go to hell to be sure for being consarned like in my own murder that i will so i will for a plague on it i had no business with the vagaries of this crazy peated meester of mine a pox on him say i he had just finished this soliloquy as he entered the apartment of his master who desired to know what was become of his armour timothy understanding that it had been left in the room when the knight undressed began to scratch his head in great perplexity and at last declared it as his opinion that it must have been carried off by witchcraft then he related his adventure with tom clark who he said was conveyed to his bedside he knew not how and concluded with affirming they were no better than papishes who did not believe in witchcraft sir launcelot could not help smiling at his simplicity but assuming a peremptory air he commanded him to fetch the armour without delay that he might afterwards saddle the horses in order to prosecute their journey timothy retired in great tribulation to the kitchen where finding the misanthrope whom the noise had also disturbed and still impressed with the notion of his being a conjurer he offered him a shilling if he would cast a figure and let him know what was become of his master's armour Ferret, in hope of producing more mischief informed him without hesitation that one of the company had conveyed it into the chancel of the church where he would now find it deposited at the same time presenting him with the key which mr phillit had left in his custody the squire who was none of those who set hobgoblins at defiance being afraid to enter the church alone at these hours bargained with the ostler to accompany and light him with a lantern thus attended he advanced to the place where the armour lay in a heap and loaded it upon the back of his attendant without molestation the lance being shouldered over the whole in this equipage they were just going to retire when the ostler hearing a noise at some distance wheeled about with such velocity that one end of the spear saluting crabshaw's pate the poor squire measured his length on the ground and crushing the lantern in his fall the light was extinguished the other terrified at these effects of his own sudden motion threw down his burden and would have betaken himself to flight had not crabshaw laid fast hold on his leg that he himself might not be deserted the sound of the pieces clattering on the pavement roused captain crow from a trance or slumber in which he had lain since the apparition vanished and he hallooed or rather bellowed with vast vociferation timothy and his friend were so intimidated by this terrific strain that they thought no more of the armour but ran home arm in arm and appeared in the kitchen with all the marks of horror and consternation when sir launcelot came forth wrapped in his cloak and demanded his arms Crabshaw declared that the devil had them in possession and this assertion was confirmed by the ostler who pretended to know the devil by his roar ferret sat in his corner maintaining the most mortifying silence and enjoying the impatience of the knight who in vain requested an explanation of this mystery at length his eyes began to lighten when seizing crabshaw in one hand and the ostler in the other he swore by heaven he would dash their souls out and raise the house to the foundation if they did not instantly disclose the particulars of this transaction the good woman fell on her knees protesting in the name of the lord that she was innocent as the child unborn though she had lent the captain a prayer-book to learn the lord's prayer a candle and lantern to light him to the church and a couple of clean sheets for the use of the other gentlemen the knight was more and more puzzled by this declaration when mr clark coming into the kitchen presented himself with a low obeisance to his old patron Sir launcelot's anger was immediately converted into surprise he set at liberty the squire and the ostler and stretching out his hand to the lawyer my good friend clark said he how came you hither can you solve this knotty point which has involved us all in such confusion tom forthwith began a very circumstantial recapitulation of what had happened to his uncle in what manner he had been disappointed of the estate how he had accidentally seen his honour been enamoured of his character and become ambitious of following his example then he related the particulars of the plan which had been laid down to divert him from his design and concluded with assuring the knight that the captain was a very honest man though he seemed to be a little disordered in his intellects i believe it replied sir launcelot madness and honesty are not incompatible indeed i feel it by experience tom proceeded to ask pardon in his uncle's name for having made so free with the knight's armour and begged his honour for the love of god would use his authority with crow that he might quit all thoughts of knight-errantry for which he was by no means qualified for being totally ignorant of the laws of the land he would be continually committing trespasses and bring himself into trouble he said in case he should prove refractory he might be apprehended by virtue of a friendly warrant for having feloniously carried off the knight's accoutrements taking away another man's movables said he and personal goods against the will of the owner is furtum and felony according to the statute different indeed from robbery which implies putting in fear in the king's highway in alta via regia Et Philonisi Captum met asportatum in magnum terrorem, etc for if the robbery be laid in the indictment as done in quatum via pedestri in a footpath the offender will not be ousted of his clergy it must be in alta via regia and your honor will please to take notice that robberies committed on the river thames are adjudged as done in alta via regia for the king's high stream is all the same as the king's highway sir launcelot could not help smiling at tom's learned investigation he congratulated him on the progress he had made in the study of the law he expressed his concern at the strange turn the captain had taken and promised to use his influence in persuading him to desist from the preposterous design he had formed the lawyer thus assured repaired immediately to the church accompanied by the squire and held a parley with his uncle who when he understood that the knight in person desired a conference surrendered up the arms quietly and returned to the public-house Sir launcelot received the honest seaman with his usual complacency and perceiving great discomposure in his looks said he was sorry to hear he had passed such a disagreeable night to so little purpose crow having recruited his spirits with a bumper of brandy thanked him for his concern and observed that he had passed many a hard night in his time but such another as this he would not be bound to weather for the command of the whole british navy i've seen davy jones in the shape of a blue flame d'ye see hopping to and fro on the sprit sail yard arm, and i've seen your jacks of the lanthorn and wheels of the wisp and many such spirits both by sea and land but to-night i've been boarded by all the devils and durn souls in hell squeakin and squallin and glimmerin and glaring bounce went the door crack went the pew crash came the tackle white sheeted ghosts dancing in one corner by the glow-worm's light black devils hobbling in another lord have mercy upon us and i was hailed tom i was by my grandmother jane and my aunt bridget d'ye see a couple of bloodies but they're roastin that's one comfort my lad when he had thus disburdened his conscience sir launcelot introduced the subject of the new occupation at which he aspired i understand said he that you are desirous of treading the paths of errantry which i assure you are thorny and troublesome nevertheless as your purpose is to exercise your humanity and benevolence so your ambition is commendable but towards the practice of chivalry there is something more required than the virtues of courage and generosity a knight-errant ought to understand the sciences to be master of ethics or morality to be well versed in theology a complete casuist and minutely acquainted with the laws of his country he should not only be patient of cold, hunger, and fatigue, righteous, just, and valiant, but also chaste, religious, temperate, polite, and conversable, and of all his passions under the reign, except love, whose empire he should submissively acknowledge he said this was the very essence of chivalry and no man had ever made such a profession of arms without first having placed his affection upon some beauteous object for whose honour and at whose command he would cheerfully encounter the most dreadful perils he took notice that nothing could be more irregular than the manner in which crow had attempted to keep his vigil for he had never served his novitiate He had not prepared himself with abstinence and prayer he had not provided a qualified godfather for the ceremony of dubbing he had no armour of his own to wake but on the very threshold of chivalry which is the perfection of justice had unjustly purloined the arms of another knight that this was a mere mockery of a religious institution and therefore unpleasing in the sight of heaven witness the demons and hobgoblins that were permitted to disturb and torment him in his trial crow having listened to these remarks with earnest attention replied after some hesitation i am bound to you brother for your kind and christian counsel i doubt as how i've steered by a wrong chart d'ye you see as for the matter of the sciences to be sure i know plain sailing and mercator and am in indifferent good seamen tholf i say it that should not say it but as to all the rest no better than the vile block or the gear capstan religion i ha'n't much overhauled and we tars laugh at your polite conversation tholf mayhap we can chaunt a few ballads to keep the hands awake in the night watch then for chastity brother i doubt that's not expected in a sailor just come ashore after a long voyage sure all those poor hearts won't be de ready for steering in the wake of nature as for a sweetheart bet mizzen of st catherine's would fit me to a hair she and i are old messmates and what signifies talking brother she knows already the trim of my vessel d'ye see he concluded with saying he thought he want too old to learn and if sir launcelot would take him in tow as his tender he would stand by him all weathers and it should not cost his consort a farthing's expense the knight said he did not think himself of consequence enough to have such a pupil but should always be ready to give him his best advice as a specimen of which he exhorted him to weigh all the circumstances and deliberate calmly and leisurely before he actually engaged in such a boisterous profession assuring him that if at the end of three months his resolution should continue he would take upon himself the office of his instructor in the meantime he gratified the hostess for his lodging put on his armour took leave of the company and mounting bronzomart, proceeded southerly being attended by his squire crabshaw grumbling on the back of gilbert chapter seven